Welcome to the Teachers Podcast in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone, thank you for listening. In this episode, I interviewed Caroline Allams from Natterhub about digital literacy in this new digital age. I feel like we've explored children being online a few times over the past few months and in some ways, it's like we've only just scratched the surface. Obviously, this is an extremely topical topic right now um, because we're nationwide remote learning for a time. So during our chat, Caroline made a great point about how we are preparing children to access and behave in the online world. It really stuck with me. She said that in general, we're sending them online and then we're hoping that they're going to be okay, but we wouldn't do that with a swimming pool. It's true, right? If you want children to know how to function appropriately online, especially when they're still children, then we're going to have to break it down and analyse every aspect of being online and social media, right down to using an emoji and a like button. I think you're going to find this episode really inspiring and I hope that you find it informative and interesting. And if you haven't done so yet, then subscribe to or follow the Teachers Podcast on your preferred listening platform so that you can keep up to date with new episodes. And I'm also on Twitter as at Claire underscore Riley underscore TP. So I look forward to connecting with you on there. Let's get to my chat with Caroline. So Caroline, thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast today. Thank you for having me. We're going to have a really exciting chat because um, obviously we, we always have a bit of a conversation first and um, I think we can both tell that we we, we get on. So <laughs> We've already got lots to say. This is it, already got lots to say. We've had some technical issues that we've worked through together. Technically both have got some kind of ed tech company so <laughs> help, helpful that we weren't that sure what to do in, in the first place but we worked through it. Which yeah, is really flummoxed nice. my headphones but we've worked through it. Yeah, we're blaming Zoom. Um, But tell me everything that is useful to know about Caroline from, you know, teaching and education and what you're doing now. Blimey, Um, that's a that's a bit of a long stretch, Um, but I'll see what I can do. Um, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher um, right from being kind of six seven years old walking around the garden with a mug of cold water and a whistle bossing people around in the garden and um I I was one of those children who really liked school um and I and I always thought that there was something sort of a bit magical about about teachers especially those that you felt a connection with um and so it was a natural course for me to um to go into teaching I did have a brief foray into the idea of living on a barge on the river Avon um, and being a social worker but then I thought I wasn't actually really tough enough to do that um, so yeah <laughs> so I ended up being a teacher um, and I um, I'd had um, a quite a varied 
um, education myself. I'd, I'd, I'd grown up in a small market town in, in East Yorkshire and then my dad was in the forces. So I'd also spent time in an international school in Hong Kong, which it was a bit of a stark contrast really from the beginning. But I think what that did is it really opened my mind to how big and exciting the world was and what a great um what a great opportunity so that really just triggered my interest in in travel um and I also put the pieces together that actually if you're a teacher you can also take it wherever you want to go um and so um, when I first started teaching, I, um, I my first job was um, in a reception class in, in York. Um, and I just could not believe that after four years of, of training that I was then allowed to have my own classroom with the door closed and there were my children in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just so excited. Um, and I think the... Um, um, the I think what I always loved was um, having the opportunity to create moments for my children, um, for them to really love sort of coming to school. Um, and so I re- quickly realized that learning through doing rather than learning through hearing about it was mm-hmm. definitely the direction that I was going to take my um, take my sort of teaching style. And um, so after after a couple of years in York, I then went to work in Barcelona um, and then after Barcelona, went to Hong Kong um, and I spent I think probably my my best teaching years were in a um, in an international school in in Hong Kong where anything was possible. There was a very global perspective from the school. Um, I'd only been there a short while and they asked me to be I was, you know, still quite young. So gave me the chance to be assistant head um, overseeing a really a pretty big key stage one and early years department in the school but what was great is that the parents were all very high up professionals but it was definitely a professional dialogue between parent and teacher and for the first time I really felt like oh they're actually coming to me for advice they really are understanding you know my concerns and they want to help at home and it was just a really lovely dynamic triangle um so yeah so I I was that teacher who um you know I'd go via the wet market and bring half a dozen wet fish for the children to poke and prod and paint and Mm -hmm. draw and um I'd they'd all be standing on the table you know really going in the face of health and safety there was always some sort of antics going on but overall I just really felt that um what I I think I was probably trying to address if I really analyze the situation is that I grew up with um a pretty absent dad and a mum who was trying to also manage um my brother who was is chronically ADHD and at a time when it wasn't really recognized um and and seeing her struggle as a parent um because she just wanted to be a supportive mom and she wasn't really getting the support that she needed from the teachers who just permanently kind of passed it back to her to to fix it to solve it to can you stop him walking around in the middle of a class can you stop him speaking when he should be quiet and and it really it really I really realized that my lovely lovely mom felt like a failure um because her son wasn't being 
um, supported in, in the right way. And so I think going into the classroom environment, I just vowed that no child and no parent would ever feel like that. Um, and so any child walk that was under my care, I just always knew that there'd be a reason for their behavior or, or, a, or a reason for their learning style or, um, uh, you know, that there was a solution to be found for what was blocking their access to, you know, a positive outcome in a, in a learning environment. And I really took that on board as being my responsibility to provide that solution. And if that meant, you know, um, doing something kinesthetically um, versus, you know, sitting wading through writing something with a pencil and a paper I was just prepared to push those boundaries and sort of do what I could to make it happen um, so yeah that was really the most rewarding part of my teaching time was that relationship with the parent so that I could honestly look them in the eye and say don't worry don't worry that your child might not be doing what somebody else is doing don't worry if they shout out, don't worry if they push the boundaries because that's my job. I, I will deal with that. I will, I will have them. I will get them on side. They will know that I am their champion. And whatever happens between September and July, I'll, I'll try my best. And I think um, that sort of gave me an opportunity to really understand how children learn. Um, and I'm really grateful for that interest. Um, so that really kind of shaped the sort of teacher that I was. And then because I had quickly got up to the dizzy heights of um, senior management, I thought, oh, no, this is not nearly as fun um, managing adults as it is <laughs> focusing on children and, um, you know, creating, a, you know, really exciting role play areas or spending, you know, one evening a week till eight o'clock at night doing a really great 3D display, because that was really what sparked my love of being in school far more than trying to be, a, you know, a, a messenger between the head and, and the rest of the team about some boring phonics scheme that was about to be brought in. Um, and then seeing the the faces on the other end and the body language in the staff meeting. I just thought, I don't want to be that person. Yeah. I want to do what brings me most joy. And so I thought, right, and I, I want to look beyond, beyond the classroom and see if there's ways that I can extend the dialogue from my classroom into a broader setting, um, which was when I had the idea for the pedagogues, which was my first, my first company that I set up. So, whilst I was still living in Hong Kong, I set up um, basically a sticker company. Um, be, and this was based on um, the children in my class um, because I wanted to celebrate their small steps. So whether they were struggling with a, um, you know, a dyslexic related issue or whether a behavioral issue, I just wanted to celebrate every small step. So I didn't have that as a resource. And so what I used to do was if I saw, you know, um, Phoebe using a full stop for the first time, it was like, ah, she did it. She did it independently. She did it all by herself. I want to make a big noise about that. So I used to get a piece of A4 and I'd write, I used full stops. And I'd say, Phoebe, what do you want to be? And she'd say, oh, I want to be a, a knight or I want to be a mermaid. Or, and I'd draw her um, and then I'd sellotape it to a chest um, in this, you know, great big piece of A4 on a tiny little person's 
jumper and then she'd go home and her parents would say wow you used full stops today therefore instigating further praise and reinforcement and you know my children were always the ones that would you know line up um in the assembly with their jumpers kind of rattling and bits of sellotape falling off the fronts but there was no, no doubt that people would know why I was just so proud of them um and and so really that was the basis of of the that business um, which was to create stickers and certificates um, celebrating children's achievements and telling them how brilliant they are because I think you know we often you know children are so resilient you know with all the things that they they are faced with we don't know what's gone on before they get to school and then they get into school Mm. and we suddenly expect them to think about fronted adverbials or um, you know get inside a poem that we've spent you know four hours planning the night before or um, and and it's a lot it's a big ask and so when they when they do it and they do it independently I just think let's tell them how great that is um so yeah that's that was the basis of the pedagogue so sitting in some little office um at the end of a wet market in central hong kong in an old building that was sort of falling apart um i set up um this business that should never have worked but it but it sort of did we ended up supplying over 50 percent of the schools in the uk this is 2005 2006 um and um, won awards and it was just like it was just amazing how it grew organically Um, and yeah we every day we used to go to the post office with our orders and post them over Um, and yeah that's that's what I did for a while and then it evolved into what I'm doing now so I think that is that enough backstory is that so what is it that you're doing now then so after sort of eight years of churning out stickers and certificates and bunting, of course, this was pre, pre-Twinkle, pre-downloadable resources um, when everything was made in paper. And I remember having this email um, from this young couple, Susie and John Seaton, who were saying, oh, Caroline, hi, um, we've really been inspired by... Um, pedagogues and can you like us because we're just setting up this business called twinkle and I was like oh great good luck um I was having babies at that point um my own I had my daughter and um and I was sort of you know getting a bit you know becoming aware that the future was not going to be in paper um Mm -hmm. so wanted to see how the pedagogues could look on a screen but I was also aware that there's a lot of content out there. So I thought, well, how can I continue the social and emotional development of children on a screen? Um, and what would that look like? And as I said, by then I had both of my children. Um, and I thought, what frightens me the most as a parent and as a teacher? And where's the, mis- where's the mismatch in children's experiences at home versus at school? And I thought, actually, I'm not techie as as you can tell with our trouble with the headphones um but I'm really passionate about children's social and emotional development and I can see how important it is because I know that if we if we get that right in school it can have so much more of a positive impact um than if we get it wrong um so I thought what frightens me the most is this idea that we just put children online. We just let them go online into this landscape that was never designed with children in mind. Um, and we're not 
we're just sort of saying be careful it for me it was a bit like either sending all the children to the pub and just hoping that they didn't go behind the bar or you know mm. just sending them off over the road of a busy you know four lane traffic and just hoping that one of them remembers to look um and so I just thought actually um if we if we can see the future of how the internet is going to impact our children's social and emotional development um we need to put some education around um around being online which was this idea for, for natahub which is um my company um now that i set up with my business partner manjit um, and i had the idea for it um when my son was um about one and he's nine now so it was a long time ago and when I first had the idea people were saying you can't put social media in the classroom that's disgraceful and I said yeah but if we do it right then it's the right experience for children to learn about what they need to know Mm -hmm. and I likened it to really to um having that role play area you know when you've got a role play area that's a hairdressers and you've sourced a few colanders and children are pulling bits of hair through the holes in the colander and you know um being in the hairdressers they've had that experience in a safe environment before they go off into the real world and that's really what I wanted to create for children to create a role but a sandbox environment where they could play at being online they could communicate as though they were on social media um, in a place that was safe and secure and kind and and small like a microcosm of what is um real social media so I um yeah just put this idea together and over a few years and then meeting Manjit my partner um she I'd sort of put the idea to bed um and I met her and she said you can't put that idea to bed that's a great idea but your idea's out here and it needs to be you know it needs to be much more um much more of an MVP um, so that you can actually do something with it. And I think I'm the person to help you with that, which Mm. she was right. So we have created and designed. I am most definitely, um, my skills are in the creative side and her super brain is is, um, more corporate. Um, And we've got, you know, that skill set together pooled is is a great, is a great, um, you know, result creator um so we've we've worked hard we've done a lot of research we've spoken to thousands of teachers and children and um listened to parents and we've created something that looks and feels like social media um but where children can learn everything to do with digital literacy online safety digital communication but it's a very human product it's not about the it's not about the functionality. We know that children can use iPads. We know that they can grab their mom's phone and swipe across the screen when they're 18 months old. What Natahub does is it doesn't teach children about the functionality because they've already got that. And that's mm. what I think a few years ago we weren't utilizing with the pandemic. I think that's brought everything forward much more quickly. But um, we know that children can cope with the functionality. What they can't necessarily cope with is the interactivity um, and the impact of communicating and getting it wrong or receiving something that they're interpreting or misinterpreting as being hurtful um, using things like emojis and gifs and 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 not really understanding the emotional impact of that um, 
and so um yeah so we've we we were really lucky to um to have gone on got on board with um twinkle so it was like a nice full circle after that initial email um and um they invested in natahub and we're still a separate company um but it means that we've been able to um finish the product build all the content and um and get to where we are now so are you looking for schools to get on board then yeah well we launched in april uh, we launched in April in the middle of lockdown. Um, we weren't really meant to, to launch until September, um, but then lockdown happened as it did for everybody. And we thought, wow, what are we going to do now? And then what we realized was that, um, you know, for the average um, primary school, being able to stay connected to your class was really challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we released it early, full of bugs, lots of bits that were that's what we did with classroom secrets kids it's hard wasn't it we kind of just thought oh we could help but it's yeah. just not that great yet yes yeah exactly but we just we just said look if you need a way a safe space to be able to communicate with your children and it's a space where your children can talk to each other and say hi it's my birthday or look at my pet hamster it was a really nice way for them to uh, to use that to stay connected. Now, there's a lot more to Natterhub. There's over 200 lessons, interactive lessons about, you know, everything from online safety, how to use a screen, you're in, you know, what it means to, uh, why do people pull a face when they do a selfie? What does that mean? What does that say about you? What does it mean to get a like and looking for external validation? All of these things. But in when we launched, it was about the connectivity. And um, and what was great and so reaffirming for all of us teachers, I think, was to see how the most important part of of school um, that children missed was that human connection, was mm-hmm. being able to see their friends and be in that structure and that framework. And we know that children will catch up um, eventually um, with their, you know, with their academics. But I think the loss of that routine and the infrastructure of school and what that means in terms of social and emotional support for children is really why we should be you know valuing it so much more Mm. um but yeah so we launched um in in april um we've had um almost three thousand signups um in you know in around 44 countries around the world um which is great so we're growing um and people are seeing the value of um, embedding this kind of teaching and learning into their into their curriculum, um, and the children just absolutely love it because, of course, they already know how to use it. And it's not because we're promoting social media before they're ready to use it. It's um, because children, when we think about social media, it's in their gaming that they're using when they pick up Minecraft, when they're on Roblox, when they pick up their mom's or dad's phone and they send a message to grandma, they're already digitally communicating. And Mm -hmm. so what we're saying is, let's take um, that format and put it into a classroom environment so that it becomes a very educational tool so that we can explicitly teach um, the benefits, um, what's great about social media and digital communication, but also so that they can perceive what the risks are and we can teach them in an age-appropriate way 
how to how to behave and how to get the best out of it yeah they are um they definitely switched on with it even if they're not old enough to use social media they're looking at you um like sometimes if i'll scroll past a video my eldest hattie she'll be like who's that well it's nobody i know it's an advert yeah (laughs) Um, yeah. but because i show her videos of herself and her sister on there as well or or some other people we know and i think you know even at four it's very much oh can you take a picture of my certificate and send it to grandma and granny um because she wants that affirmation, especially now, because obviously we, we can't see them either. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think I think it is. It's it's very um, it's a very engaging media for children. <laughs> Of, as we know, um, for all of us, it's, it can and, and potentially distracting. Um, but when you, when you, when you, what we're doing at the moment is we're working with external partners on other, you know, educate great educational content. Because what's great about obviously what we what we want children to recognise um, in teaching them to be safe and savvy, um, you want them to use it creatively. You want them to use digital media purposefully so we're trying to get away from the sort of mindless scrolling of just time wasting which we can all be guilty of but what's great about social media is that when you are flicking through it can spark an interest oh I like the look of that even with as you say your daughter oh who's that I want to know more and if you pepper that news feed with great educational content whether it's a little science video of an experiment oh how does that work why did that happen or whether it's a well-being message to say you know just remember to say something really kind to your friend because it will make you feel good too or whether it's um you know just oh there's you know there's jay jane in my class and she's brilliant at maths and look the teacher has videoed her doing long division because actually we all find that really difficult but we're going to learn from jane or look oh Josh is brilliant at drawing and he's just he's brilliant at drawing narwhals so he's just done right hi guys I'm just going to show you a step-by-step drawing of my narwhal and then you can comment on it and it's it's that ability to curate self-directed content um, at the same time as having access to you know as I said over 200 of these lessons which are teaching children how to get the most out of this format and building that digital resilience and uh, and promoting digital empathy which of course they're the sort of two key magic ingredients for keeping children safe online it's like if you're if you're um, empathetic then you're being aware of um, you're aware of how you're impacting other people and how they might feel with your content and how you're posting it and then if you're resilient when you are faced with the inevitable bumps in the road, as you will be um, online, then you've got the resilience to either know who to tell, know to shrug it off. It's not about me. It's nothing to do with me. I can leave it there. Um, or, you know, get excited about it. You know, so I think I think they're really key life skills that we need to sort of pull to the forefront of our of our schools now, which is starting to happen with the new curriculum. Yeah, and it can be hard sometimes because it's all about interpretation, isn't it? And there's not loads and loads of guidance to to be really clear about exactly what that should be. And sometimes it's hard to step back and dissect what what we experience in our lives that maybe we could translate. Um, 
so you, you've talked um, really about having um, short lessons and I suppose they're from a PHSC perspective. So how are you supporting teachers with that in the current climate? I'm thinking, you know, about the new framework and DfE. Um, yeah, well, I mean, the timing couldn't have been better for us, actually, because just as we started to um, think about, you know, the concept of Natahop in more detail, I was landed the job of um, mapping out the, the, the content, the lessons. Um, and um, I, I was sort of, you know, put, putting together all the sort of key skills and, and concepts that I wanted to teach in our scheme of work. And then luckily, the UKIS document came out, the Education for a Connected World, which is a brilliant document. Um, and they'd done all the hard work for me. So we mapped e quickly, <laughs> mapped all of our lessons against um, that document. And then at the same time, um, Manjit, my partner and I, we were visiting um, Westminster Education Forum and um, part of the um, making the noise about whether PSHE should become uh, compulsory or not. And I mean, I still find it shocking that we've got to 2020 and it's taken this long for it to be um, compulsory because there's no doubt in my mind that, as I said before, if we get it right in schools, the grades will go through the roof um, if, if we've got happy, balanced, you know, well-adjusted, resilient children in our schools. So, um, but yeah, great news that that went um, compulsory. And of course, there's a lot of online safety in that, in that um, new RSE document. So combined with the UKIS document and then the online um, safety part of RSE, we basically ticked all the legislation. We did that easily. That was a good, that was, that was great for us. And gr as I said, really well-timed. Um, and then the rest of RSE, um, we just really, you know, coming from that school environment and knowing that teachers are busy, they want a, a, a full solution. We actually decided, you know what, we've got um, access to these amazing uh, content writers um, with our production team. Let's create other um, lessons so that we do cover the whole of um, the RSE curriculum. Um, so we did that um, and we're still in the process of um, adding those to the tool. But I think what's different about Natahub is that it's not just about having a, um, a PowerPoint and delivering a lesson. Um, this is a, a chance for children to really get excited about using technology at the same time as learning. Um, we know that um, children's typing skills are really improving because they're able to write snippets, bite-sized bits of content really quickly in real time. And having an audience in real time for children is really exciting. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so to teach, you know, all the things that we are teaching through Natahub in this way is, is proving to be a bit of a hit, which is great. So yeah, with, with um, we're also really aware that in schools, there's a real spectrum of confidence with technology amongst the, in the staff room and um, we we usually find that the teachers who who come on board with Natahub first are the ones that are pretty confident themselves or they use a lot of social media themselves outside of school um, and we wanted to make sure that our lessons are dead easy to use so you literally click a button and you're off um, but we've got teacher notes and we've made it really um, 
easy for even the most sort of reluctant tech users to get on board because they've got a script, they've got a button to press. The children run with it because they know what they're doing. Um, and then we've got lovely little bits of functionality which just make it really easy for teachers to stay in control. Because I think with a lot of tech products, teachers have that worry that, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be able to stay in control. But we've got some great control freak buttons in there to um, to keep the, <laughs> keep the children in order. Um, but that's been really exciting, sort of developing that, thinking, what do children love? What are they gonna get, you know? And that's always been my focus is that I wanna think about children first, like what's the best experience for them? What's the best way for children to learn about being online, about being on a screen, about using mobile devices? So let's make that, but then, what can we do to make it super easy and super satisfying for teachers to use um, because it's all in one place? That made me laugh so much about the um, <laughs> about the controlling thing because um, I used to be a secondary school teacher and um, the first year I just, so I taught performing arts but I only taught dance the first year and then the second year they said I could teach drama as well but it still wasn't going to be a full-time job so they said if you if you could teach any other subject for a few lessons a week what would you teach so I ended up teaching year seven and year eight IT and I remember thinking how am I going to control <laughs> because all the screens were facing other ways and they were yeah. behind the screen that you couldn't see yeah I, rem I can't remember what it was called but some software that um and that was the only thing I wanted to learn how to use like how do I use this software where at a time you turn all the screens off and they can't do anything yeah, and you that's show them <laughs> what's on the screen and it just made me laugh so much because I just remembered how important it was to me to yeah. know how to control a 13 year old screen <laughs> Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. I, and I said, look, when we were, um, it was one of the last things we did. And when, um, you know, lockdown started and everyone was sort of saying, oh, I think we're just going to have to get it out there. We just, I said, look, you can't get it out there until we've got that freeze screen button. button. And what happens when you press the freeze screen and these two giant eyes just come on the screen and it just says, look at your teacher. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that is the bit. It's, it's the best part, really. <laughs> yeah, well, this is it. You just... <laughs> you need to feel in control, don't you? It um, always used to make me laugh because um, I did quite a bit of supply going around different schools, which was really good for me. And um, I remember being in, in classes like year nine, year 10, and even, even in primary schools, actually. And I'd uh, walk around the room and you'd see them do the minimize. And they thought that you didn't know. And I was just thinking... <laughs> Listen, right, at the time, I was probably maybe only five years older than them. <laughs> and, um, I was like, I've done it all before, but then it also made me feel really guilty because it's, I was really good at school, especially in secondary school. And I used to think, I did that. And my teacher must have known, but also I thought that... You've got to pick your fights though, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. You've got to decide start, what you can... <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> so... So I kind of thought, oh, they probably knew I did that because yeah. I I know that they're doing that. But um, that's what makes you a great teacher, though, because you pushed a few boundaries. So you're expecting them to do the same. They just yeah. want to see what see what they can get away with. And I and I was definitely one of those pick, your, especially on supply as well. Pick your battles, the ones yeah. that you're most likely to win. Yeah. And um, I feel like we've probably talked about it, but I think we should just really define it um 
to make sure that we kind of got it in in this conversation and um, but in your definition what is digital literacy because it can be a, a sort of a phrase that people think oh I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing does this mean word yeah um I think it's a really it's a really great and important question I think um I mean if we think about how um school and and certainly primary schools and I think what what primary schools are is the 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 foundation that's laid for us to develop skills that are going to be developed further on in secondary school and then onto life so um I think if we think about if we're preparing children for beyond primary years there's no doubt that digital literacy has to be has to be included in there because when you do unpack the term it's not just it's not enough now in 2020 it's not enough for children to just be safe online they've got to know how to really thrive online they've got to be able to um you know read an image as well as they can read words they've got to be able to process what an image might be telling them they've got to be able to read an article and and understand has are there any fake aspects in this or is it is it skewed because of a particular has it been aligned to somebody's you know um, Mm. opinion Um, and because now I mean the amount of time that children and we're all spending online our reading habits are changing so you know research shows us that instead of you know following text from left to right automatically when children Go, you know look at a page they now do the z formation because they are so used to scanning a screen sized image where they go across from left to right and then diagonally across see if there's any images piece what they can together before they then go back up to the top and i think um it's just a really interesting facet of our of our lives now that i just i I think we can't ignore it anymore because it's so prevalent. So as I said, it's, it's not just about being able to know how to make a good password or understand that, oh, I shouldn't put my address on social media. That, of course, those things are super important, but it's just so much more than that. I remember having a conversation with my daughter, who's now 13, and she was desperate for her first mobile phone. And like a lot of other families, we said, well, when you go to secondary school, we'll have that conversation and um and she was like oh but mom I know I mean how long have you been doing Natahop um I know I'm not going to talk to strangers I'm not going to talk to anybody on a game and tell them anything personal about myself and I said listen you are so lucky to have the group of friends that you have there's five of you in your group and you all get along you've you've not really had any fallings out you only have to use the wrong emoji at the wrong time in your little group chat on your phone when you've just had it a few weeks for that to just dissolve into something Mm -hmm. completely different because that is that is that understanding of knowing when and how to behave in different scenarios whether you're sending an email to your teacher or a quick message to granny um when it's her birthday or you know there's so many different lines of of um digital literacy that that need to be understood and it's a big ask for children if we're not going to teach it explicitly um so yeah i think that's that's my understanding that it's um 
I don't think we can even have a literacy curriculum without digital literacy being mm. at the forefront of that um, because we have to we have to understand that this is how and especially you know the younger generations um, this is how people communicate it's how they work it's how they form relationships it's how um it's just how we operate now we 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 do very little offline very little and and at the moment I still think that you know being online is lauded as a bolt-on but it's not it's like we're online way more than we're offline that's the Mm -hmm. we've tipped the balance um and the the pendulum has swung so far towards digital that we we have to create this education around it so that we are preparing children to live in this in this online landscape and and in depth as well because you know some of the things that you've talked about do we actually think about needing to teach those things or or not do we just think oh okay well we need to make sure they're safe online and yeah. we talk about that and it's one less than a year or something but yeah. actually all those things are really important because you know I think I was of the era where I think maybe I might be in 11 when we got a computer at home and then maybe by about 14 we definitely had the internet and I was older and it was gradual whereas now it's kind of fully formed isn't it and they just dipped in yeah, off you go that's it yeah and 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 we have um you know this sort of um metaphor if you like the uh, analogy of you know you wouldn't put your children in a pool without teaching them how to swim because Mm. you know water's a great great analogy really because it's somewhere you know if you go on holiday can't wait to get in the pool can't wait to get in the sea because it's fun and it's relaxing and it's just part of you know having a great time um but if you can't swim it's potentially fatal (laughs) and the internet's a bit the same it's like look you can thrive online you can have a great time this is a great time to be growing up you've got all of this content this information at your fingertips but you've got to have the skills to know how to navigate it otherwise you you there you run the risk of going down a very dark path of 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 drowning and um and I think it's just you know it's it's really interesting as well because you know there'll be a lot of times when teachers are delivering natahob lessons and the children know way more and that's no disrespect to to the teachers but they have had a different experience as you've just highlighted from the teacher teaching the lesson it doesn't mean that the the teacher can't deliver the lesson because we've designed them so that they're super easy to deliver but you know in in some of our year five and six lessons we you know we're asking children look would you trust apple to take care of your online safety or or do you you know what what about corporate responsibility how do you feel about that you know growing up in this world and it's amazing the conversations that come out and why do you think your mom nags you to get off a screen and why is it so difficult for you to respond? And we introduce them to the idea that, you know, if you're playing a really fast paced game, this is going to create dopamine. Yeah. Um, and this makes it really exciting. And you want you want that feeling of being excited by, you know, playing that game. And we get that. But it's important to have that balance. And, yeah. and I think we're moving away from this idea that screen time has to be a fixed time. Oh, you're only allowed an hour a day on the screen because it's not realistic. And especially now because of the pandemic, it's not necessarily time on a screen. It's what we're doing on screens. You can have 
you know, a, a, a very, um, you know, a long time on a screen that could be a really relaxed, it could be learning how to do something super creative through a screen. It could be a yoga lesson that could be really relaxing and the, and the most nourishing thing that you do all day, but you're doing it through a screen um, versus, you know, something that's, you know, not great for a developing brain to spend too long in the in a fast-paced environment and and my issue and conversation because despite all of you know my knowledge and experience about children being online I still have the same boring conversations with my own children it's like no get off the screen oh but I just a minute just a minute um and 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 the thing that I always try to say to them is I don't have an issue with you being on a screen but I as a parent, I have a responsibility to make sure that you balance it with something else, because when you're on a screen, it's time taken away from doing something else. It's time yeah. taken away from being really active. Usually I know that you can do that through a screen, but, um, you know, or getting on your bike or getting outside or doing something else. Um, so I think it's just it's just about balance and education and moderation. Yeah, no, I completely agree because it's like that for adults as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I think so much, especially during the pandemic, I'm certainly more aware of um, how much we use technology and how much, you know, we have we use Microsoft Teams. We have it on our phone. I've had some conversations with some of my colleagues. Like I turn off all notifications for email and Teams because I honestly check it enough. And it's this routine: you you swipe up on your phone. I'm just doing yep. it now. And then it might be Saturday, but you'll look at Facebook, maybe, mm. possibly Twitter, emails, Teams. Well, hopefully, no one's going to Teams me on a Saturday, but I'll still do the routine. Yeah. And it's just knowing that, hang on, this is a routine I'm now performing. This yeah. is not conscious. This is subconscious. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's really, it's a really, um, it's a really interesting one. And, and I think what we've, what we've created is the ability for teachers to embed all the positive parts of, of mobile devices into years one, you know, year one upwards. Um, and, and teach them about this this potential hazards of getting into that sort of mindless routine of uh, doing something automatically, just so that they're aware, so that they're reflecting on, oh, actually, yeah, yeah I do that. And they're short enough as well um, for it to be, oh, we've got, you know, 20 minutes at the end of the day. You can squeeze them in or let, right, instead of registration, we're going to quickly jump on the um, iPads and we're just going to have this conversation. And a lot of it is about conversation um so yeah so then what are the benefits of being a child now and growing up in this digital age um I mean I've probably touched on um a few points already but I think um I think that having access to information I mean what children have learned from YouTube is extraordinary right and I'm sure for a lot of children they could probably compare YouTube with being as educational as school. Yeah. Um, and I know that we all do it. We all, you know, whether you're sitting around the table, whether you are, you know, oh, it's bedtime and somebody, you know, child asks you a question. Oh, let's Google it. Let's let's have a look. Oh, I wonder how you do that. Oh, I don't know. There must yeah. be a YouTube. Um, and, and we, ne we never did that before, did we? It's, no. it's frightening, honestly. My daughter says to me, oh, well, can you just can you look it up? 
And I'm like, yeah. you know, don't you, that, that I didn't have this in my life. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, what? And I'm like, even at 16, when I got my first phone, there was no internet on it. And I remember, yeah. I remember maybe internet being on it, maybe about 20, and then it cost a fortune. It was really slow. And I know people had said, oh, in time, it'll be, you know, limitless and you'll be able to do everything on your phone. And, and in a way, I kind of didn't believe it. Yeah. I hoped, <laughs> hoped it would be a thing. Yeah. And now I'm like, probably helpful if the internet wasn't on my phone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, for children, as soon as they see the first answer to their question, they think that's true. That's yeah. it. Oh, that's the answer then. And of yeah. course, again, it's just teaching the skills to no, it might not be true. It might be completely fake and you've just jumped on it. Um, yeah. But I think, yeah, to have that ability to learn something really good. And, and again, going back to, you know, neurodiver- neurodiversity, there's so much about children's interests and learning and life skills that's not anywhere near our national curriculum. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what excites me most about being a teacher is just doing all that planning, getting it all in your file on the shared drive and then just closing the door and actually providing what your children really need and what comes from their loves or their interests and and just going with it. And I think, you know, what I would really hope that Natterhub can do is, I mean, I've got with my children, I've got one who just fits the school system goes through the school system absolutely she does her thing she does her homework I don't need to nag her she doesn't always love it but she does it and my son it's in our gene pool he is he's just not interested by school it's just not Mm. as interesting as the conversations that are happening in his own head and he's so from from the minute he could play and we know we've all taught children like this. He's so self-directed. He's very sociable. He loves finding it. He asks questions all the time. His question to me the other day was, if atoms were the size of pixels, how big would a tardigrade be? Um, <laughs> that was a, uh, do you want to ask dad? <laughs> um, moment. I'm not proud of that, but that was my thought. Um, but I think, you know, the, the, the most interesting and exciting things about children's knowledge and learning is the stuff that we don't always ask them. Um, and I always tried to make a point at the end of every lesson that I taught, if I was teaching them about content, if I was teaching them about knowledge, um, I would say to them, okay, I've, I'm done. I've done my little bit of my lesson. What have I not asked you about that you might know that I haven't asked you yet? And that's when you get somebody unexpectedly putting up their hand might not talk might just sit there fiddling with his shoelaces at the back of the class his hand goes up and he'll tell you actually I know about all those different woods because I've got this little workshop in my garden that my dad set up for me that I and I build stuff and my mom and I sit there hammering and we make and it's like whoa I had no idea that you knew how to do this but in this digital forum for children to be able to bring a little bit of themselves into the classroom um, so that they can find their own place. And, you know, it's all valid. It's all important. And it's all part of who we are. And I think we've go, we have unfortunately found ourselves in so much more of a sausage factory style education that there's so little room for individuality. And, mm. you know, we've got, 
we've got to nurture creativity. We've got to allow people to learn in the way that they need to learn and, and bring what they bring because we all benefit from that and, and children benefit from that um, in the classroom environment. So I think what, what's great about, about growing up now and, and about social media is this ability for children to find other people, whether it's through Minecraft, whether it's um, through, you know, a, a, another digital channel that they can find other people like them so that the world is becomes a little bit smaller and it's easier for them to connect and we know that you know for other children who are troubled um in in another way or struggling with their own identity or their gender or their you know as children get older you know beyond primary their sexuality i think it's a really amazing opportunity for children to find out um what works for them and, and how to feel as though they belong to um, other people um, or have something in common with them. So it's not so it's not such an isolating um, moment when they're discovering things about themselves. So I think there's loads yeah. of positives. They just need to be taught to uh, dodge the dodge the um, the negatives. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think sometimes we we talk about the Internet. And we do think about the negatives when it comes to children and it is important to recognize the upside and the downside in, in everything and i think even you know from a medical point of view how much more empowered are so many of us now by actually being able to look things up ourselves mm. you know because when you go to a general practitioner that's what they are general and they probably don't know about some some things whereas um and i'm not saying like you know go to dr google but the point yeah. is is that you can over time do your own research mm. um on yeah. on different things and, and and improve your life without having to get a pill yeah yeah and i think you know, from creativity as well you know if a child is musical they can teach themselves how to play an instrument if mm. you know i mean my daughter has you know developed a real love of graphic graphics and graphic design and and you know just from playing playing on a screen and I think that word is so important um because we know how important it is for for children to play and we know what educational value that is um I certainly don't need to preach that to teachers um but when we think about play in a digital landscape children do play digitally and and it does bring them great creativity and, and and the opportunity to to grow and learn and build and um and I think we should it, we should acknowledge that because there's a lot of guilt around screens as well I mean children feel guilty sometimes because they're permanently told oh you shouldn't be on a screen you shouldn't be on a screen get off a screen or it's bad for you or you're not doing it and actually they might have been doing something really amazing or it had a great sense mm. of achievement or it, it's really contributing to their well-being being on a screen. And then we take that away from them by presuming that all screen time is bad. And, and it's not it's not the case. It's just no. about, you know, putting the right education around it. Also might be as well that they're using that as an opportunity to further what they've learned. Yeah. Um, I remember as a kid, this is a long, long time ago, um, learning about PowerPoint and going home and practicing that because I was interested. And, you know, there's, I think there's a lot to be said for that as well. Um, right, let's get to the, the four closing questions then. So if you could wave a magic wand, how would you solve the life-work balance problem? Oh, heck. Um, 
magic wand. Um, well, if I talked less, <laughs> I'd probably get more done. <laughs> um, I, I think, oh, magic wand. I think I, I would, not because I want to be eternally young, because I don't. I think if I had a magic wand, or if I could change anything about what the way that my life has gone, I used to exercise a lot. It was a massive part of my life. And when I set up my first business, I stopped. I stopped exercising and it was the worst thing I could have done. But at the time, I couldn't justify... I think because I was so terrified of setting up a business because I'd gone, I, I'd become a teacher and I, I, I loved it and I got a lot of satisfaction out of it. And as I said, I was in a really privileged position to be in an international school, which I know is, uh, you know, different from being in a really challenging school on a, you know, with no budget to buy stuff. It's a completely different experience as a teacher. Um, but I did have you know, I worked hard at it and I put in the hours, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't particularly stressful. And I exercised every day um, in the week. And then I set up my business and I went from being in a position of, I can do this to, I've got no idea what I'm doing. I actually am completely winging it. And my That's way what of- That's we all do though. <laughs> yeah, we do. And I realise that now, but I think- <laughs> this world of business was such a mystery and I was just about to enter it. And I was so institutionalized because I'd gone to school, gone to university, I'd gone back to school. And even though I am a person that I've done lots of little jobs and weekend jobs and holiday jobs and all the rest of it, uh, which taught me actually way more about the situation I'm in now than school ever did. But I, I think um, I, I, in order to address that wing in it feeling, I thought I've got to work, you know, 20 hours a day to try mm. and find my way. And, and I lost I lost my friend exercise and I, fa- I found it really difficult to to have to bring it back into my life now that I've got children. And um, it sounds pathetic. I'm not even going to try and give myself it, a reason, but it's just fallen away. And it I'm, doesn't, and I'm I think, sad about you know, that we can't do everything can we no we can't but I think that's the downside of the digital age um is that you look around and it seems like everybody else is managing it everybody's sorted it everyone's yeah I get up at five and I just go for a run and I think how how do you do that I can't do that that makes me feel bad about myself um so yeah I just (laughs) I wish I I can get up at five and sit at my desk no problem I can yeah. do that. I do that regularly. That's not yeah, great, though. I'm not proud of it. Um, oh, that's that's feel... not a bad thing. Well, I know, but it'd do me so much more good if I could just pull on some lycra. To be honest, though, if you if you if you if you can get up at five and you enjoy working, and that's actually good brain time. Yeah, it's probably your um. Is it I'm called, far better in the morning. Rhythm. Yes. Yeah. And then, so what you should do is then maybe go for a walk at like just before the school run. Well, I, I, I do get, I mean, I've got a dog. I go every day, every morning, half an hour, do my loop. Uh, it's fine. I just know it's not enough. It's not enough. Put, put, put an extra one in then. Once, once a week, start there. Anyway, this is not supposed yeah. to be a coaching call. <laughs> yes, come on. Therapy, Claire, therapy, I need it. 
um, but honestly, though, if you could wave, wave a magic wand, what would you do to solve um, this life balance thing? I'd probably just um, calm myself down. Just tell myself to wind my neck in. The wand would just say, it'll all be all right. Don't worry about it. I think that's what the wand would do. And if I if I had less anxiety, um, then I would be able to justify, you know, taking more time for life and less for work. But less I just, I work. think, I think it's just, yeah, I think it's fine. Maybe I just need a treadmill with a desk on it. That's what yes. I need. Well, that's yeah? an option. Maybe that that's what option. the wand will bring. Yeah, yes. but my my business partner, Manji and I, we're just the same. We're just like, ah. But I think, like you said before we came on the call, it's just really difficult when it's just up to you. You know, you get all the benefits yeah. of loving it and um, doing it for yourself. But at the end of the day, if the pen's fallen under the photocopier, there's only you that's going to crawl on the floor and get it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just... I think that's probably that's has that answered your question? It probably hasn't, has it? No, but don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> what do other people say to that? Oh, I don't know. Um, it varies really. Some people go really magic wand, some people come up with an actual solution, but obviously it's not a full solution. My favorite one is that I would have two teachers for every class, and I would make one teacher do um the you know be the maths and English for the morning and the other teacher be all the other subjects for the afternoon and then you would get the opposite side of the day to do all your PPA oh nice yeah well that you know I mean that that doubles the budget doesn't it really so yeah yeah that really is a magic wand but yeah, <laughs> yeah that's nice yeah I like that where where do you think education's going in the next 10 years oh well where where I'd like it to go uh, versus where it might go I just who knows I mean I think there's I think it's a great start that we've got PSHEs compulsory um I I hope that people um take this opportunity that we've just had with the pandemic to see people's amazing resilience and coping mechanisms and creativity to get out of this solution and and see how resourceful we are as professionals as teachers how important teachers are what an incredible um structure the education system is for children and just give teachers more autonomy to deliver what our children actually need and i think if if teachers could have more time to really invest in children as individuals and meet their needs and have the space to think about each one of them and what they need in, in each of the subject areas or just give children the space to tell them what they need to know because children do know what they need to learn and they know what they're good at and they know what they're bad at and they know where they need help. And if children had more of a voice, I think we could have the most amazing education system. And I just, that's my idyllic kind of hope that in 10 years time, we do move towards a more individualized, based on well-being, um, offering children life skills, giving them more mental health support, um, having the 
time to tell them that we believe in you, we trust you, you don't need to worry. Um, instead of teaching them these awful, you know, schemes of work that are just not anywhere near children's experience, own experiences that creates this anxiety of, you know, unnecessary stress. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think teachers are just by nature, they, they care, they get it, they understand children. And I'm not saying, you know, go back to doing, you know, four week project on, on a guinea pig, um, maybe that perhaps might have happened in the 70s. But I just think we know so much more about how children learn. And we've got so much more access to content, as we know, because of the internet. Yeah. So let's just teach them great skills to get through the next 50 years, because that would be really exciting. Yeah, probably more than 50 years as well, because at the end of the day, I think the life expectancy will be about 90. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a few Let's years extend time. it. I'm not yeah. sure I could imagine what would be in the next 50 years there. So I thought I'd just bring it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll kill you off at 68. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah. Um, when you're 68, you're on your own. You've got to do your own learning. Yeah, that's it. You'll have to decide. That. You'll have to decide what you need next after that. Spend the next 50 years deciding what happens at 68. <laughs> oh, Just yeah. Think, my friend had I got a. Uh, right on that. Yeah, I have. <laughs> my my friend, we were. I was lamenting about our, um, you know, middle-aged aches and creaks, um, and. Um, my friend had a mad idea how crazy would it be if you actually started off life as an old person and then just got younger and younger and how much you know would that be better but I said yeah but then you'd get to about 26 and think oh no I've got puberty to come and I'm gonna it's gonna be really weird being you know yeah. 13 so yeah it'd be nice if if you got younger and you stopped as a young adult and stayed there I think That'd oh yeah nice. what would your um, age be where would you want to stop Ooh. I don't know really maybe about 25 because oh. I feel like by that point I had a better idea about who I was um but I still looked about 10. So, <laughs> <laughs> when, oh when, you were you were good I'm I would say about 31 would be where I'd want to stop oh really um, I'm 36 now so oh you see you're I... still a pop <laughs> so, you're still so a I'm pop like, I'm going back in time like when I looked younger um but I remember, so when I, so I started my PGCE and I was like, I'm the youngest in the year. So I was 20, I think. I must have been 20 when, it, when I finished. Um, and so I used to, because I was teaching dance, I dressed in um, like, you know, jogging bottoms and like a dance type top that was black, yeah. all black. Um, and so the six farmers wore all black as well. So sometimes when I'd be teaching uh -oh. the lesson, as the PGC student being the teacher and a supply teacher came, <laughs> I'd get told off for, you know, I'd get asked where the teacher was. Because um, <laughs> I was supposed to be a student. I'd get told off for interrupting her. And I'm like, no, no, but I'm teaching the lesson. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Oh, it was oh, fun. Nice. I, I definitely see the positives and upsides in that. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, that's nice. Yeah, 23, I think, or 25, something like that. So what yeah. was so good about 31? Um, 
I just, I felt like I just had a bit of experience. I had my experience under my belt. I'd lived in, I'd lived in three countries, four countries by then. Um, and I felt like I, I just had that sort of innate confidence, uh, but still young enough not to be worried about what was coming. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think so. I think that, yeah, early 30s was good. I kind of feel a bit sad that this is not going to happen now. <laughs> no, I'm really sorry. We It was such a mad idea when she said it. And then it was like, we ended up talking about it for ages. But it is, it's a crazy, crazy notion. But I think um, that idea of, you know, starting off really like, oh, tired and oh, everything's hurting. And then it just sort of becoming more free and it getting easier and easier and easier. And then, but also I think it, it, if you go through that, um, I promise there was no wine involved in that conversation. <laughs> you can probably imagine yeah. that it might have been. It wasn't but wine, I, it was whiskey. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even late night. It was just crazy comment. But um, and then you realise actually what the reason you don't want to go back to being a, maybe a young teen or a primary age children is because even though it's nice to be a child in that we perceive that as adults. Oh, you're so lucky. You don't have to do this. You get your meals provided for you. You've got time to play. You've got, I just think children are asked to do an awful lot of things that adults think they should be doing or that adults think children want to do. But in reality, they don't want to do any of it. They yeah. want to do what they want to do. And I think that our, education system needs to allow for that because so much learning could come out of it yeah um, no absolutely um i listened recently to um a podcast episode by dr john d martini he talks about uh, children's values and and in the episode he actually talks to this uh, to a mother um and and her son and i think her son's about 11 or something I can't remember but anyway she's kind of saying you know how do I get him to do anything he won't do anything um and they had needs and um he basically said he's not incapable of learning like I think it was something about ice hockey and he knew all about it and he says he wants to learn but he wants to learn about what he's interested in yeah so you need to find a way to link everything like his maths his English to that yeah and you won't have a problem. And it's, it's what we're saying now. And, yeah. and I think he's like the top behavioural specialist in the world or something. And it's all about what a child's interested in and what the values are. Absolutely. And, and I think that's what's great about technology because how many children love technology? Mm. Nearly all of them. So if you can embed technology into any... And that's not to say that there isn't value in stuff that's not on a screen because I'm actually not that teacher um in terms of uh what what prompted my idea for Natahub in the really early days was because I didn't want to create crap content on a screen for the sake of it when I knew that teaching it sitting on the floor with children in a circle with a giant piece of paper and some nice big barrel markers was a way better way of teaching mm -hmm. something I didn't want to just create an app for the sake of making an app um whereas Natahub because it's that framework to bring and curate great stuff that children can bring to it um, and to teach them about technology through that format was um, 
was a big win for children because um yeah they love technology and they use it as i said they they are super creative with it um so if we can put that in a in a primary classroom rather than just pushing it all to the you know to secondary schools i think yeah that's true that's great yeah and especially you know trying to teach it in mean, the first six months because let's face it quite a lot of kids have facebook before they even get to secondary school so yeah of course they do well, snapchat instagram probably more than well, facebook but yeah. But still, still, yeah, absolutely. Seen it before twelve, aren't they? Um, yeah. Last question then: Who was your favourite teacher at school, and why? Um, well, my first favourite teacher was my reception teacher, um, Mrs. Proby, who I ended up writing to. I left that school at the end of reception, and I wrote to her until I was a young adult. And I remember writing to her to tell her that she that I was going into um, going off to do my B.Ed. Um, and um, I, I, I think I, I never really had one particular teacher, um, but I know the teachers that treated me, that, that were interested in me, because I wasn't, I wasn't top of the class and I wasn't bottom of the class. And I was, a, I was you know, I looked a bit weird as a teenager. Um, but I, I wasn't being difficult. I wasn't, I was a pleaser. So I was probably smiling. I remember Mrs. Newlove, who I, I was terrible at maths, really found maths difficult. And so I just used to think I've got to have some contact with Mrs. Parker so that she doesn't ask me a question. So I just remember saying to her, Mrs. Parker, I really like your lipstick in the hope that because she'd heard my voice, she then wouldn't need to ask me a question again. Um, but I remember just those teachers who were sort of interested in me as a person rather than me just being one of the people in the class um and and I think that combined with um the experience from my brother and his issues and my mum and her issues as a parent just made me realize that if you connect with a child and you make them feel they rightfully take up that space in your classroom they will work their hardest for you. And I remember those teachers mm. that I felt like that with. So there were probably quite a few um, along the way. Thank you. I always I always find that most of the answers stem from good relationships. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is something we can all learn um, about building those relationships with children because that's what adults remember. Yeah, not, not a specific lesson he taught. They remember the feeling of you. Yes, and and I think it stems either through it. It comes either through humour, which of course is a great way to create that relationship with children, um, as long as you're not trying too hard. Because of course, as you all know, as a secondary school teacher, going too far the other way is just never going to get you in the right place. But no, no. Um, but yeah, through humour, you know, a little bit of silliness or kindness. I just, I remember a little boy in my class just a few years ago and he just, he, he, you could literally see the dark cloud over his head um, and he just felt very on his own and he was mm. sad and he, and I just thought I am going to do whatever I can to make you feel that you're not on your own. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. Relationship, um, kindness, a little bit of fun and then 
the rest of it is just filling in the gaps, isn't it? And it's mm -hmm. easy. That's the easy bit as a teacher. Oh, yeah. OK, you want me to teach addition? Yeah, I can do that. Right. Long division, fronted adverbial. Yeah, you can do all that. But it's get that relationship um, and then they'll. Yeah, then they just love you and, and it's, try it, it's a great basis. Yeah, they do. They do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that simple. It's not rocket science, is it? No, it it's, it's, not, it's not, but it is very, very hard and time consuming. And I think that's, yeah, the time consuming thing is what makes it so hard. Um, yeah. Is what I feel and really. I think it it's, it's feel overwhelming. Yeah. And I think it's important as well that it, it's not to, to not take things personally, because I think children come in with a lot of, they come in with a lot of baggage and they've got an expected route for if they behave in a certain way, they'll get this sort of response. Whereas it's great as a teacher to kind of pull that rug a little bit and think, no, I'm not going to respond like that when you do mm -hmm. that. I'm going to do it differently. And yeah. they'll, you know, their ears will prick up or they'll be like, hmm, that's not going to work. That, that negative response is not coming. So, hmm, what, what's going on here? And I think as a teacher, you know, you get tired, you get bogged down, fed up with the next thing that's come out from the government that's your fault. And yeah, um, it's easy to feel yeah, overwhelmed, as you said. But I think children will very rarely do things personally. There'll always be a reason why they come in in a certain way or they say a certain thing. And, and it's just to get a response or a bit of attention or to, to actually communicate to you that they're finding something difficult. Whereas if you just unpack it all um get to the bottom of it kill them with cream <laughs> yeah well thank you so much um i feel like we've covered so much um so much to say about this isn't there and i think i really hope that over the next few years we do start going a bit deeper in this and we start <laughs> we start putting we start fleshing out what we're actually gonna cover and and, and what else needs to be what else needs to be on that as we experience um, more? And does that even make any sense? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I, I think, um, you know, just really going into this subject area, this whole kind of digital literacy and what it means, I think it's so easy to presume it's a conversation about tech and actually it's a conversation about kindness and mm -hmm. well-being and resilience and all of those skills that we don't necessarily associate with with tech but actually because tech is our most um used medium now um that's that's what's important and so it's a very it's a it's a very human conversation we have to stay mm -hmm. in charge of the robots otherwise the robots will take control well this um, is it <laughs> yeah. so i think it's um yeah i think it's 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 um, certainly with our project it's it's the heart of um of technology it's the human element rather than the tech yeah well thank you so much for joining me on the teachers podcast today thank you so much for having me it's been so lovely to talk to you claire thank you we teach children a mass concept and we let them practice we teach children a writing technique we let them practice Caroline believes that we should teach children about social media right down to the details and then let them practice in a controlled, safe space. One where we encourage them to read back their message before posting and one with a real audience of people that they actually know. 
And after talking with Caroline, I'm inclined to agree. We talk a lot about the negatives of social media. We tell children why it's bad, whilst at the same time spending our own lunch breaks scrolling through our news feeds. And then we tell them that they can have an account when they're 12, but we advise against it. Perhaps we should be creating a space where they can experience real life, but at a safe level. After all, that's what children want, isn't it? To be adults, to learn safely, to be grown-ups. That's why we fill our early years classrooms with miniature kitchens and building sites. Imagine how powerful children could be if they'd learned to consider a different perspective of the impact of them posting a status. As an action to take away from this podcast, why not look at the teaching of digital literacy at your school and see if any of the points we talked about in the interview are missing? I'm sure that these will have also sparked new ideas that could be embedded into your school curriculum for digital literacy too. You'll find everything that Caroline and I talked about in the show notes. You can follow me on Twitter at Claire underscore Riley underscore TP, on Instagram, The Teachers Podcast, on Facebook, The Teachers Podcast, or also on Facebook, join me in The Teachers Podcast community. I also really appreciate reviews of the podcast. See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.